great to have you with us this afternoon. Would you please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're moving along in this incredible section, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And today we find ourselves at verse 10. Verse 10 today. After you turn there, if you could uh, look up here or look at the screen, I have with me this handcrafted Invicta watch. You heard of the Invicta watch? Isaac knows it. It's a good watch, isn't it? Now, I'm not a, I'm not a watch wearer. I, I don't really wear watches, but this was handed uh, down to me by my grandfather. Uh, apparently, it's a good watch. Uh, It just sits on my shelf. Isaac, you could probably make better use of it. But I want you to notice, you may not be able to see from there on my watch, but you can see up on the screen, there's an open window in the back of the watch. Do you see that? All these little parts, these intricate levers, these gears that turn. It's an amazing little piece of engineering, ingenuity. All of these watches and then uh, you know, I wonder if you open up the back of an Apple Watch, if it looks as cool. Do you think? It probably just looks like a computer board, but way more complex than, obviously, the watch we have here. You know, no one walks up to a watch like this, looks into the back window, and goes, huh. You know, it's amazing how all these little parts, these stainless steel levers, these gears, just kind of found themselves together put themselves together, and then made this watch. Nobody says that. That would be ridiculous. Everybody knows that behind every watch, this little piece of engineering, there is a designer. There's an engineer. If this is handcrafted, there is a watchmaker who put all of these pieces together. Nobody would say that about a watch. But... Incredibly more complex than even a watch is the person behind the watch, a human being. Now, human beings are incredibly complex pieces of machinery. (laughs) I mean, really, if you, you break up the parts, you could look at the human eye and just wonder at its incredible design. Eyes pass on incredible amounts of data through microscopic parts, first through the cornea, then through the focusing lens where the image strikes the retina, stimulating 125 million nerve endings simultaneously. This is processed by millions of microswitches and funneled down the optic nerve containing 1 million separate insulated fibers that take information to the brain where an even more complex process begins. It's amazing to me that scientists who understand this process have even written and drawn some of these figures could look at all of these microscopic parts and say something like, wow, it's amazing that all of these parts kind of found themselves together and due to natural selection or the evolutionary process, we have the human eye. How foolish is that? How ridiculous. 
that a, a, a piece of incredible creation, a, a, an engineering marvel like the human eye, could be credited to natural selection or chance? How could they not see the engineer behind the eye? How could they not give credit to the Creator? And yet, and yet, there is an even more amazing process. An engineering marvel, a miracle, a new creation that is even more amazing than the creation of a human eye. And do you know what it is? It's the new creation described in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It is not the first creation. It is the new creation. That is the salvation that those of you in Christ have experienced. That is a marvel. It's a miracle. And it amazes me that even some who could give credit to the watchmaker, even some who could give credit to God for creation, they still don't give God all the credit for your salvation. They could think that, hey, 98% God and 2% me. I contributed some, didn't I? How could you see this wonderful work of salvation and not give God all the glory? We are His workmanship created in Jesus Christ. Let's look back at this marvelous section. This is like the blueprint of your salvation. You're getting a behind-the-scenes look on how you were made a new creation. Have any of you seen that uh, show on Discovery, How It's Made? I love that show. It's incredible. You see like these everyday household items that are created by incredible pieces of machinery. Well, today we get a How It's Made how it's made, looking through Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, how God made you a new creation. Let's look at the whole section, but obviously we're going to focus in on verse 10. But let's read from the beginning to get this context. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. For we are His, oh, excuse me, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's an amazing ascent, isn't it? 
We have ascended from the depth of our sin, dead, to the height, the summit of our salvation in Christ. It's His work and His work alone. He should get all the credit. And then in this last verse here, verse 10, we see not only that we are His workmanship, who we were made for, but we also see what we were made for. It amazes me that so many Christians, or so-called Christians, call themselves Christians by name. They put on the Christian name tag, but they you know, show up to church and sit on their hands, do nothing. Or they just go about everyday life, engaging in the same sinful pleasures that the world does, and there's no distinction, there's no difference. Well, this verse addresses that issue too, because it tells us what we were made for what Christians ought to be doing in light of the incredible salvation they've been given in Christ. So two points for us this afternoon. Two simple points. Number one, who we are made for. And number two, what we are made for. Ephesians 2.10. Let me pray and we'll continue our look at this verse. Heavenly Father, Oh, it's so good that we have a sovereign God. We have an unchanging, faithful God. That as the world around us changes and bends and even moves toward failure, our trust, our faith, our hope is in a God who does not change. And God, as we look and see this incredible gift of salvation, the heights that You've taken us in Christ, May we not stoop so low and live among those of the kingdom of this world, but may we live in the reality of who we are in Christ and live out those good works that you've prepared beforehand, Lord, and that will change the world. That will be the impact. That will be our legacy is that we live a life devoted to you, God. Living in the way that you've made us to live. I pray that we would all do that in light of this passage. In Jesus' name. Amen. Point number one, who we are made for. Who we are made for. Look at the beginning of verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Do you see the for there at the beginning of the verse? For connects us to the previous verse. It's really a continuation of the thought. Let's read it all together. Salvation is a gift not a result of our works, so that no one may may boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. We're a product of God. His power, His work, His boast, not ours. We're His. Do you see the word His there in your text? We are His workmanship. You don't see this in the English, but in the Greek it's very clear. The word his is moved to the front of the sentence. It's in the emphatic position. It could be read of him or of his. We are a workmanship. This is like the authentic signature on a painting or a symbol engraved on a sculpture or the brand on an animal. There's no mistaking whose we are. We are His. His. 
Psalm 100 verse 3 says this, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. There's no mistaking whose work we are and who should get the credit for our lives. Our lives should be lived for His glory because we are His. Whose are we? His. Who should we live for then? Him. Let me ask you a rhetorical question. I don't want you to answer out loud. I want you to answer in your own heart. Who do you live for? Him? Are you truly His? You see the word workmanship there in the text? We are His workmanship. The Greek word is poema. That's where we get the English word poem. So you artsy types might like this. You're the, artis- or you're the artistic literature of God. That's kind of nice, isn't it? But maybe for us others who are not artistic or artsy, it's, it's, this Greek word's helpful because it doesn't just, it's not just confined to artistic literature. It could literally mean any finished work, a product. Some of us see ourselves more as a manufactured product, don't we? We're a finished work. This word is used twice in the New Testament. It's used first in Romans 1.20, and it refers to God's creation of the whole world, the universe. It is His workmanship, or all the things that He made. It's His product. And then the second time here in Ephesians 2.10, it doesn't refer to the first creation. It refers to the new creation, God's work of salvation in our lives. You could think of it this way. We were twice created. We were twice made. We were twice born. We were twice baked. One of my favorite dishes, and the guys might know this, at the Mill Restaurant in Marietta, is the twice-baked pasta. So good, you know. You have the penne pasta, the marinara sauce, the sausage, and the parmesan, and the mozzarella. And it goes into the oven, bakes, and then they put it in again and then put another layer of cheese and bake it again. Twice baked. We were twice created. And the Lord Jesus Christ had His hand in both creations, by the way. You know that the Lord Jesus Christ was there in the first creation. He's the agent through which the entire universe was created. Colossians 1.16 tells us, By Him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Now there's the part we messed up. That's the part we messed up. We're created in the image of God. We are here because of Him, by Him, through Him, but we don't live for Him. We are all or we're at one point dead in our trespasses and sins. The reality is, and Ephesians 2, 1-3 through 3 tells us this, we live for ourselves apart from Christ. We live for ourselves. We live for this world. We live for Satan. We live for the passions of our flesh, the desires of our body. We live for ourselves. We messed up the first creation big time. Big time. 
because of sin. And we know this. We know that we must be born again. We must be remade, recreated, transformed completely from the inside out. We need new hearts. We need new bodies. We need new minds. We need new desires, new affections. Because those things don't come from ourselves. We can't change ourselves, chart a new path for our lives. We need someone to change us, to transform us. We need God to do a new work. And He does. Ephesians 2, 1-10 through tells us He makes us alive. He raises us up with Christ. And then He seats us in the heavenly places with Christ. God does that new work. We're His workmanship. Created anew in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is a great cross-reference to this passage. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is what? A new creation. He's new. She's new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the beginning of a new life. This isn't the end of the Christian journey. To become saved. To believe in Jesus. You don't believe in Jesus, then it's like, okay, well... eh, Ready for heaven? Now I'm just going to sit on my hands and do nothing. No, this is the start of a new life in Christ. This is who you are. He is who you were made for. You know, it would be ridiculous. It would be ridiculous. It's a funny illustration, but it would be ridiculous to see a butterfly crawling on the ground from plant to plant like a caterpillar. Wouldn't it? You see this butterfly with beautiful wings. And you see this thing crawling from plant to plant, going all the way down and then across and then all the way up to the next plant, like it's still a caterpillar. Imagine having a conversation with this butterfly. That's ridiculous, I know. But imagine having a conversation with the butterfly. You say, hey, Mr. Butterfly, why are you crawling on the ground? And the butterfly goes, oh, it's inevitable. I'm going to fall at some point. And so you know what? I'm just going to give in now and crawl on the ground. You look at the butterfly, you say, Mr. Butterfly, you have wings. You can fly. You were made to fly. Butterfly. And you know what? You could save probably the 20 minutes crawling from plant to plant if you would just fly there. And the butterfly responds and goes, oh, you don't know how hard it is. The caterpillar instincts are still so strong in me. I can't stop crawling. You're trying to convince this butterfly, Mr. Butterfly, you're not a caterpillar anymore. This is not what you were made for. This is not who you are. Fly. Ridiculous, isn't it? I mean... Obviously, butterflies can't talk. But, you may kind of see where I'm going with this illustration. As ridiculous as it is to see a butterfly crawling on the ground, acting like a caterpillar, how ridiculous is it that so many Christians live 
like they are the old man, the old woman. They live in their sin and they make all these same excuses that the butterfly gave. This is what we have to preach to ourselves. This is often the conversation I have with myself. Morgan, why did you fall into that sin again? Why are you going back? And the excuse comes up. Oh, it's inevitable. I'm going to fall again at some point. So I might as well give in now and engage in the sin. No, no, no. This is not who you are. You're a new creation in Christ. You're His workmanship. You don't have to go back to the old way of sin. And then you make the excuse, oh, but it's just so hard. You know, this sin instinct in me, it's so strong. I can't stop sinning. Have you heard that before? Have you thought that before? I can't stop sinning? Listen to me. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You can because of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. You are a new creation in Christ. You are seated in the heavenlies with Christ. You're no longer the dead man walking. You are no longer enslaved to your sin. You're no longer living in the world controlled by the prince of the power of the air. You're no longer identified as a son or a daughter of disobedience. You're no longer identified as children of wrath. You are created anew in Christ. That means something for your life. It means that you can say no to sin and do those good works that God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in. Listen, Christian, this is what we have to preach to ourselves. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it right. He said, this is the central trouble for the Christian, the chief problem. It's that Christians do not remember who they are in Christ. We forget who we are and what God made us to be, who we were made for. Don't allow yourself, Christian, to crawl back to your former identity. To go back to this old world that you've been saved out of. You read Ephesians 2, 1-3, through 3, you don't want to go back there. You know where you want to live from? You want to live from the heights of Ephesians 2, 6. You're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Live your life from the summit of your salvation. Who you are in Christ. Think less about what you're not and more about who you are. The battle against sin in your life starts with your identity. You remember who you are in Christ and then put off the old self, put on the new. Ephesians 4.24, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3.10, put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. When temptation hits you, preach to yourself, that sin is not me anymore. I am new in Christ and I'm not going back. Remember who you are. Who you were made for. You are made for God. His glory. To please Him with your life. But you don't just sit there on your hands and do nothing. You've got to understand what you're made for. That's point number two. What we are made for. 
what we are made for. Ephesians 2.10. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Here's the second for. For what? Good works. Now hopefully an alarm is going off in your head. You're like, Morgan, you just spent the past four weeks absolutely demolishing the idea that good works contributes anything to our salvation. You remember those messages, right? Not by your works, not by your works, not you, not your boast. Take good works out of the equation of salvation as far as accumulating good works to earn your salvation. I've just been preaching four weeks on that. And then I come here and I'm telling you that what you are made for is good works. Maybe you've got to be asking the question, how does that work? What's going on here? This is, there's an important distinction made here in the text. I want you to see it. I even have a little diagram to show. You have to see this distinction. Okay? We are not saved as a result of our works. Verse 9 is clear about that. It's God's work, His grace, His gift. Verse 8. And we are saved for works, which is verse 10. So said in another way, write this down. Salvation is not a result of good works, but good works are a result of salvation. Salvation is not a result of good works, but good works are inevitably a result of salvation. Said another way, salvation produces good works, but good works do not produce salvation. We know we are saved by grace through what? Faith. But hear this, that faith will produce fruit. It will. It'll produce fruit in your life. Scriptures replete with passages that affirm the good works that come out of salvation. Just take a look at these with me. This isn't just a, you know, a novel concept for Ephesians 2:10. This is all over the scriptures. 1 John 2:29 says, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. In other words, those who are born of Him will practice righteousness. You can be sure of that. Good works will be a result of their salvation. Ephesians 2.14, Jesus, who gave Himself for us, there's the Gospel, to purify for Himself a people for His own possession, who are then zealous for good works. Titus 3.8 I want you to insist on these things so that those who believed in God, they believed that they may be careful to devote themselves to what? Good works. James 2.17, you might know this verse. So also, Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You can be sure that a faith that does not produce good works is what? Dead. And then, of course, Jesus is teaching on the healthy tree, Matthew 7. Every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears what? 
bad fruit. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. That's the word, words of Christ. So you see someone who calls themselves a Christian, but lives their life like they're not. Ongoing sin, continually given over, acting more like Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 than Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. Jesus says, you, you will know them by their fruits. Those that are truly my disciples. So good works are, are evidences, pieces of evidence that we have to determine the health of their faith or the faith that they profess. They will surely come out of genuine faith and genuine salvation. Salvation produces works. Works, good works, our good works does not produce salvation. I mean, it shouldn't be... Uh, difficult for us to understand, if we go back to the illustration of the butterfly, as a butterfly does what it's made to do, which is fly, as a watch does what it's made to do, which is keep time, tick tock, so a Christian will do what they are made to do, good works. There will be good works that are evident in our lives. So what are these good works? What are these good works that we should walk in? This verse tells us we should walk in these works. What, what are these works? Notice that phrase, and man, it's hard. Sometimes it's not caught. It's right in between the, the first and the last. It says, uh, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Look at this, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God preordained good works for you to walk in. Do you remember us talking about God preordaining our salvation in Ephesians 1? You remember when He preordained our salvation in Ephesians 1, when He chose us? It was before the foundation of the world. Get this. Part of the blueprint, part of God's plan, His design, before the world was created, was to save us, and not just save us, but sanctify us. He prepared good works in that blueprint for all of us to live out in our lives. Isn't that cool? God was thinking, not just about how it is by which you're going to be saved, but He was thinking about what you were going to do after you were saved. And He prepared good works for all of us, corporately and individually, to walk in, to live out. This is, this is incredible to think about. It was all included in God's blueprints. You know, I could say with confidence that God does have a wonderful plan for your life. Christian, if you're a Christian and you're in Christ, God... God does have a wonderful plan for your life. But let me tell you, it is way better than a good retirement plan. It is way better than paying off your mortgage. It is way better than driving fancy cars. It is way better than the safety and comforts of a conservative America. It is way better than the beach house in Laguna. 
God's wonderful plan for your life are these good works that he wants you to walk in. He wants you to live out that plan that he has for you, for your life. What are these good works for you to walk in? There are so many. Again, there are corporate good works that we apply and we live out together. And then there are individual, special, unique good works that God has for you individually in Christ. Let's go through a list uh, that I've compiled. And this isn't comprehensive, but there's a lot here. I want you to think about all these good works that you could live out being in the Christian life. These are, again, not, these won't earn you salvation. This is not what makes you a Christian. This is what a Christian does. This is the natural outflow of who we are in Christ. Number one, God has prepared knowledge for you to increase in. God has a lesson plan for you. It is to grow in the knowledge of God. Look at Colossians 1.10. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and look at this, in increasing in the knowledge of God. You want to live out the Christian life? You want to grow and mature? Grow in your knowledge of God. Learn more about Him in the Scriptures. That's one good work that all of us could easily apply this week. Growing in the knowledge of God. Number two, God has prepared one another's. One another for you to apply in the church. There are a lot of one another's in the Scriptures. These are commands like bear with one another, love one another. There are a lot of them in the Scriptures. And this is the means by which we relate to other believers in the body. This is a corporate good work that we can all participate in. Look at Ephesians 4, 1-3. It says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of of the Spirit. God has given you these folks, these people at Summit Bible Church to love, to bear with, to show humility towards, to act kindly towards. Those are some good works that you can walk in every week to love one another the way that God has called you to love. That's part of God's wonderful plan for your life. God has also prepared spiritual gifts for you to use in the church. This is part of His individual plan for your life. These good works that God has called you individually to do. Look at 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift. Has each received a gift? Yes? So if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, you've received a gift. And what is it for? Is it for you to excel in business? Is it for you to be the the best neighbor in the cul-de-sac? No, where is this gift to be used primarily? It's use it to serve one another in the context of a church as good stewards of God's varied grace. You know, a lot of believers who come into church, listen to a message, and leave, they don't participate. They don't engage into the life of the body. You know what they are? They're bad stewards. They're not good stewards. You're being a bad steward. If if you've never used your gift to serve one another in the context of the local church, ask yourself, how are you stewarding the gift that God's given you? 
God's prepared for you spiritual gifts unique to you to use to serve one another. Number, I don't know, four? Yeah, four. God has prepared time. This is another good work that you can walk in. God has given you time for you to use according to his will. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Understand what the will of the Lord is. You know what God's will is for your life? God's plan for your life? It's that you would use your time well. That you would use your time well. I encourage you. It's a good exercise for everybody. List out all of your priorities through the week. Men, a massive priority at the top of the list inevitably is your job. You know, 40 to 60 hours a week at work. Then you have family. Then you have friends, neighbors. And you may have church. And I don't know what else you have, hobbies, golf, whatever it could be, men. I encourage you to ask yourself this question. Am I making the best use of my time? Am I walking in those good works that God has prepared beforehand? Am I being a good steward of my time? Another aspect of your life that you're called to be a good steward with is your money. God has prepared money for you to give as its steward. 2 Corinthians 9.11 says, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. God gives you the seed to be sown. That's what uh, 2 Corinthians 9 says. God gives you the means by which you can be generous. If you're rich, if you're well off, if God has blessed you, you know why he did? So that you could be generous toward others. So you could be a generous giver in the church. You can be generous with those resources toward others in the body. God has prepared, I skipped over, you can go back one. God has prepared people for you to evangelize. You want to walk in those good works that God's prepared beforehand? Evangelize people. Be about God's mission, God's kingdom. Share the gospel. I love what God tells Paul in Acts 18. He says, Paul, don't be afraid. Go on speaking. Don't be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you. For why? Because why? I have many in this city who are my people. Isn't that interesting? God says, I have many in this city who have not heard the gospel yet, but when they do, they're going to receive Christ. I've prepared people for you to evangelize, Paul. I, I wonder, pray this to the Lord. Lord, what people have you prepared in my life for me to evangelize? God, I know that you know, I have co-workers, I have family members who don't know Christ, and I know you brought them into my life for a reason. And I want to be faithful. I want to be a faithful steward of the gospel. I want to share the gospel with them. That's a good work you can walk in this week. Lots of good works for you to walk in, isn't there? I mean, there's endless amounts of good things that you could spend your life doing. Notice none of the things I gave you was politics. No, notice Twitter wasn't on the list. Facebook, right? Golf was mentioned, but it's not at the top of the priority list. Man, I, I just wonder, what are we spending our life doing, Christians? What are we spending ourselves for? 
Are, are we really living out this salvation that we've been granted? We've been given such an incredible gift from God, this salvation. And yet so many Christians, again, they sit at the summit of their salvation on their hands and they do nothing. That's not what God made us for. God created us in Christ. We are his workmanship for good works. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with this salvation that God has granted you? You may be familiar with the flying Scotsman, Eric Little. Have you heard of Eric Little? Have you seen the movie Chariots of Fire? Eric Liddell, Eric Little, however you pronounce it. Eric Little lived back in you know 1920s, 30s, 40s. He, uh, he was an Olympic athlete, an incredibly fast runner from... Uh, well, he's a Scotsman. Scotland. That's where Scotsmans are from. Um, uh, he was incredibly fast, but he was also a devout Christian. He loved the Lord. So you may have heard the story. He, uh, the Olympic race, his race, the 100-meter race, that was his race. It's what he had trained for. That's, that's what he lived for, or so people thought. That race fell on a Sunday in the Olympics in Paris, 1924, and Eric Little refused to run in the race because it fell on the Lord's day. So he competed in the 400-meter run instead, which those of you familiar with running know it's a vastly different race, more of an endurance race, but Eric Liddell won that race. He got a gold medal. He stood on the podium in the Paris Olympics in 1924. But Eric didn't run for the gold. He didn't run for the podium. He ran, he ran fast for the glory of God. In fact, he writes, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. You know, Eric Little's life should not be summed up by the fact that he won a gold medal at the Paris Olympics. After those Olympics, Eric went on to be a missionary in China, lived his life for the Lord, shared the gospel in China. He was eventually um, captured and uh, taken in as captive in a Japanese uh, camp during the war. And Eric Little prayed for his captors. He prayed for the prison guards. He shared the gospel faithfully to other inmates. He would eventually die in that prison camp always talking of Jesus, always speaking of Jesus. In fact, I think his life is better summed up by, if you've seen Chariots of Fire, the closing scene where the, these words are written. Eric Little, missionary, died in occupied China at the end of World War II. All of Scotland mourned. Eric identified as a missionary, not an Olympic athlete or a runner. See, Eric saw saw beyond the worldly prizes of gold, fame, the podium, and he lived with a different purpose, a different goal in sight. He lived for his Savior, Jesus Christ. And beyond the Olympic gold, the fast races, he devoted the rest of his life to the missionary work to share the gospel in China. He lived out those good works that God prepared beforehand that he should walk in. What has God got planned for your life? What about you? What are you going to do? 
What are you going to do for the Lord and for his glory? Let me pray. Lord, I want to run. I want to run, I want to run the race with Christ in my sights. Lord, help me to not be so distracted by headlines, by earthly pleasures, desires, even by the comforts and you know, quote-unquote safety that I have as being an American citizen, Lord. All those things are temporary. All those things are frivolous things to live for. God, I want to run the race for Christ. I want my eyes set on Him. I, I, it's just been an incredible gift that You would save me. That you would grant me this incredible salvation. I don't want to waste that gift. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste my resources. I don't want to waste the spiritual gift You've given me, Lord. I want to run for Christ. I, I pray that, God, that would be the prayer on all of our hearts. That we would live our lives to please You. We are Yours. We are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for those good works that you prepared for us. May we walk in them. May we live our lives to the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.